0: My guest today is Professor Jason Dexter, who's Assistant Professor of Astrophysics at the University of Colorado Boulder. His research group studies the accretion process into black holes in order to understand how they grow and develop tests tests of strong field general relativity. Welcome, Jason.
1: Hi, thanks. Thanks a lot for having me.
0: Yeah, so thanks for doing this. So um, I want to start with one of your relatively older paper from March 21, uh, first M87 even horizon telescope results, magnetic field structure near the even horizon. Um, Before we get into the details of this Jason, um, black holes uh, I I imagine uh, captured the imagination of the public. It certainly has captured the imagination uh, of me I generally go to sleep thinking about falling into a black hole, uh, the, uh, but uh, I don't I don't know if it's possible. But could uh, we uh, start with sort of the context setting? So M87 black hole is a lot bigger than our own, right? Um, maybe three orders of magnitude bigger, or something like that.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. So the the idea is that. Um, We think that the the black holes that we see in the universe are um, either the supermassive black holes, so roughly one per galaxy. We think they're at the centers of most every galaxy. And they're sort of millions to billions of times the mass of the sun. Um, And so, yeah, they they can be different. And they scale the size scales with the size of the inner part of the galaxy. So Our galaxy is sort of a normal galaxy, and it has a smaller, normal-type black hole. And it's further away, but it's this uh, really big elliptical galaxy, and so it has a, a really supermassive black hole, um, several billion times the mass of the Sun.
0: Seven billion times the mass of the Sun. Um, so M87 is a relatively closer galaxy to us, right? So what is the, what is the distance to M87?
1: Yeah, so it's, uh, let me try to get this right, so it's about 50 million light years, if I did that correctly, uh, 16 or so megaparsec, million 15, parsec. Yeah, 50 million. So it's, uh,
0: about,
1: it's it's just about 2,000 times further away from Earth or the Sun as the center of our Milky Way galaxy, um, and so when we talk about, you uh, imaging black holes, so the idea that you would actually use your telescope to make an image of the gas as it falls into the black hole, and then we want to know basically the size of that, the scale of the black hole itself is proportional to its mass, and then also the image will get smaller, everything gets smaller as we go further away, so the image size scales as the mass of the black hole divided by the distance from the sun and so remarkably, those two objects end up very similar because the M87 is about 2,000 times further away, but it's also about 1,500 times more massive. So that's how these two black holes end up very interesting out of all the ones you could possibly study. If you're interested in making resolved images of gas as it falls in and heats up and glows, and those two are the ones that we always talk about over and over.
0: Yeah, so when I see things like this, Jason, I sometimes think that somebody has architected this. So so the the Sagittarius A star, which is our own uh, uh, supermassive black hole, 26,000 light years away. This is 50 million light years away, but it is three orders of magnitude bigger, but it seems like it is a more easily observable object, right, from a black hole perspective. So the Even Horizon Telescope um, is such a fascinating, fascinating thing. I mean, uh, taking a picture of the Black hole is, is, is not something that you imagine one could do. So, so, so what, yeah. what, is the, what is sort of the, the technology and the architecture of the Even Horizon Telescope?
1: yeah that's right so the the interesting thing about it is that um so, so the light we see from the black hole is of the gas falling in so we can't see black holes or, or um, no light escape um, and so what we see is the gas heats up as it falls into basically the gravitational well of the black hole um, speeds up collides heats up and it can glow and so we can see the light coming from close to it and astronomers have studied this for, for decades. But the, the challenge, if you want to make an image of it and just take a picture of the black hole, um, the big challenge you immediately come into is that even these supermassive black holes are tiny. Black holes are compact, and so you, you need basically the the biggest um, possible telescopes. So, so the way this is done in the Event Horizon Telescope, is you use a, a telescope that um, is observing at a, microwaves, about a millimeter, uh, and if you make your telescope size the size of the Earth, then that's just enough to make this kind of blurry image, like we came up with in M87, this this uh, glowing orange donut uh, image. For people that have seen that image, so that's uh, impractical to build a single telescope that's the size of the Earth and people didn't want to actually, you know, cover the entire Earth with radio telescopes. And so then the the technique that's used that uh, makes this possible is what's called very long baseline interferometry. The idea is that you record data very carefully at different telescopes all over the world, and you record exactly what uh, wavelength of light you were measuring and exactly what time everything was recorded. And you can actually then line up between telescopes later and interfere that light later uh, in order to get to eventually an image, in order to measure properties about the, the spatial distribution of the source. And then you can, using really um, advanced techniques, especially reconstruct the image of the brightness. Of this source Yes, yeah, so
0: when, when we think of the size of the black hole, there's there sort of different things there, right? So um, there's a Schwarzschild radius, which is sort of the even horizon mm-hmm. uh, radius um and then i guess some sort of a photon um you know light going around the thing uh which I, I think something like 2 to 2.5 or some 2.6 uh schwarzschild radius and then you have stuff kind of moving around at at three schwarzschild radius right so so when we when we think so let me go back to the m87 what is the even horizon size of m87 we
1: think. Uh, yeah, so let's see. So, in in units of, uh, let's see, oh, I'm going to get it wrong in units of centimeters. Um, so, so uh, hold on, I'm trying to do this in my head. So, the is galactic something? center is about 10 to the 12. So, this would be something like 10 to the 15 centimeters, um, which is, I like your conversions are going to be bad, but. Um, yeah, it's it's basically well it's the it's comparable to the size of the solar system
0: right comparable to the size of solar system so you have a you have a black hole uh, even horizon comparable to the size of solar system so that's it's a pretty big black hole
1: um, anything- uh, right just the event horizon itself is huge yeah that's right
0: this even horizon is really huge so anything going beyond that uh, light, even light cannot escape from that. Um, and then you have a lot of stuff sort of moving around that, right? All the gravity that is pulling things in. And it could be sort of two to three diameters of the even horizon thing. So so when we look out to that, what exactly are we measuring? What exactly are we seeing um, in the magazine?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, so as I mentioned, that's right. We don't see inside the event horizon because the the light can't escape. But more than that, the image is really heavily shaped by how gas and light move when the gravitational field is very strong, like close to a black hole. So you mentioned this scale that there's a location outside the event horizon where light actually goes around in in circles around the black hole. Um, And that effect is the main thing that we see because basically, for reasons of light bending and red shifting and other effects, this central region inside of that location tends to be very dark and it's predicted to be much fainter in these images. And it's predicted to be its most brightest just outside of that location, basically, or at the edge of that location. So if you think of, again, this, this glowing ring image, um, if you've seen it, then th- there's blurring from the telescope there, but the, the dark region in the center, we think is corresponding to this, what we call the shadow of the black hole. So this region where um, where light rays are, are um, bound to the black holes and meaning that they'll, they'll intersect the black hole. They're either um, coming out from in front or they're going into the black hole in that region. Yeah. And, and so what you're seeing is the gas radiated from very close to the event horizon, which then is sort of shaped into this ring and appears brightest outside of that location where it goes around in circles. And you, you mentioned that actually that this predicted shadow feature is, is about um, two and a half times larger than the size of the event horizon itself. And that's really fortunate because um, we are just at the resolution of the image. So if it were two and a half times smaller, it'd be very, very difficult to make this image and see a dark spot in the middle um, corresponding to where we think the black hole should be. So yes, it, it works out very nicely, whether whether coincidence or design somehow, it works out very nicely, and we're we're grateful for it.
0: Yes, yeah. yeah, so more power to the fine tuning people. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, God somewhere is sort of <laughs> setting this up so that you guys can see it. Just um, kind of interesting. So um, the, other,
1: the other, the last thing I'll say about that story is that the. Uh, the, this idea of looking in the center of galaxies for the black hole and in the center of our galaxy especially, it goes back to the the 60s when people were discussing, you know, these really bright objects in the centers of some galaxies that they were called quasars. And the idea that because these things are really far away and they appear about as bright as stars, they must actually radiate um, a, an amount of light comparable to an entire galaxy from this tiny, from some tiny region. And this was the idea of supermassive black holes originally. What kind of engine could you possibly devise which could produce that much energy? Um, And so ever since then, there was this idea of, oh, why don't we just, you know, zoom in and see if there's a black hole in the center of our galaxy, for example. And there's just decades-long wonderful stories about about doing that, right, and advances in instrumentation to get to this point where you can make this Earth-sized telescope, or in the center of our galaxy where um, last year's Nobel Prize was for orbits of stars very close to the center and showing that that by the gravitational effects that there must be some very massive unseen object uh, in the center of our galaxy, the massive black hole in the center of our galaxy. Um, and the, the amount of work by astronomers to sort of turn this black hole story from, oh, maybe they really could exist to really fleshing out black holes exist and they're everywhere and they play an important role in the universe and so on. And that's taken a lot of a lot of advances in technology and telescopes and so on.
0: so yeah, um, this is not the paper, Jason, but I saw something that come to the airwaves today that um, that speculated that all the gamma radiation that we see are from you know sort of um, uh, black holes that we cannot see um, mm-hmm. So they're they're dim uh, dim enough that we cannot really pick them up, but they're hot enough to actually create a tremendous amount of gamma radiation. So, is did you did you see that? Um, it, it, does that make sense to you? Uh,
1: I, I'm not aware of it. I would have to look at the I would have to look at the article. But I think they're general. Yeah, I, I think it's. Uh, there's general questions about what sort of background radiation is produced by different sources, and that's one way that, that black holes might actually play an interesting role. So one one of them that I that I know a little bit about is just the uh, early on in, in the universe, um, reionization, and there's a possible role there that, um, that that black holes could have potentially played as well.
0: Yeah, I think you know, the public really appreciates sort of the technical accomplishment of even Horizon Telescope. You know, the, the picture doesn't look that impressive, yeah. uh, but <laughs> the picture is, is tremendously technically impressive, right? I mean, um, somebody predicted this about 100 years ago, and now we can get a picture of it. Um, it's an amazing thing, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's really, it's really rewarding to me the the most fun thing about astrophysics is that it's really driven by this type of technological advance. Some new instrument or facility comes along and it makes new discoveries and that lets you, if, if you think, I mostly think about this from the theoretical and computational point of view, but it really lets you make predictions and test ideas. And you you really feel like you're learning something new on short timescales, right? It's not a decades long project to refine an understanding of something that may or may not ever be measured. Um, For a lot of us doing astrophysics, it's it's really the reward of, um, yeah, things changing, the field changing on short timescales and being able to test those types of ideas. So seeing an image that, in the case of that image, it's really remarkable technically, and I think it's remarkable that it looks kind of like what many people predicted. So this is kind of actually what we expected an image of a black hole to look like, and that's a non-trivial, complicated problem. Um, so it, at least for me, it gives some hope that maybe we understand something about how gas falls into black right. holes, how they grow, um, how light behaves in strong gravitational fields, and so on. And, and if you if you take that as a starting point then you can try to learn more you can come up with tests um how how we can go further and and test those ideas further or get to what you were mentioning before of like what what can you really measure from that and so so one on that you know one hope is that if you can actually measure in detail the the location where the light is going around in circles around black around the black hole that's a property of just the space time of just the Black hole solution of how space time should behave according to general relativity, and that's then a test of general relativity that comes from pretty close to the event horizon of a black hole. So, that's what we mean when we throw around this term strong gravity, and that's one way you could talk about it. It's it's not that there's some small amount of light bending, you know, stellar light going past uh, the sun. It's it's in a regime where light's going around in circles, right? So that's that's a fairly large amount of light bending and a, and a pretty different regime where you could talk about trying to test gravity
0: yeah so so i want to dig a little deeper into the technical details in the paper um jason uh, i obviously don't understand any of this so 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 what do you mean by synchrotron radiation
1: yeah so we talked before about the basic idea of uh, light seen by black holes is that there's really hot gas and it's heated by the fact that it's, it's falling into this really deep gravitational well. And it's, and it's then um, heating up by, by effectively colliding um, with, other, with other gas or with interacting with other gas. Um, and so it's hot ionized gas, and it conducts magnetic fields then. Um, and so, so there are different regimes of this for how that gas can produce light. Um, so, hot gas will glow in some way, it'll produce light via some mechanism. Um, and it turns out that for these systems, like in the center of our galaxy, or M87, or most of the black holes most of the time, they're, they're really not not very much gas is falling in at one time. So they do not shine extremely, as as these super, like very luminous sources, like in quasars, they do not shine as bright as a galaxy. In our galaxy, right? We don't see this booming black hole source at the very center. It's actually very faint, um, and we, you know, it's it's hard to detect it uh, except in the radio. Is it, basically. is it because it can be seen at other wavelengths? Hard to detect. It. Is it because there is enough material there to fall in? Yeah. So there's yes. Ultimately, it's because there's not that much material falling in. So what happens is is that if there's lots of gas falling in, then there's also lots of collisions. And that means that this energy that's gained from falling into a gravitational well, that would initially go into, say, um, kinetic energy, or you know, the motion, that particles start moving really fast, like something falling towards the atmosphere of Earth or something like that. When it's a gas, it can interact also you know, via, say, collisions or electromagnetically. And so it'll, it'll collide and share that energy and slow down. And the, a lot of that energy then goes into heating the gas. So if there's a lot of gas around, those collisions are very effective. And those collisions and, and associated processes also produce light. So it turns out that systems that are, there's a lot of gas around, so there's a lot of total energy around that can go into light. And the gas is very good at radiating away that energy as light that astronomers can observe. Yeah. So, so both those things together conspire to make quasars so effective at, at giving away energy. So the, the thing we like to say in accretion is that, in the sun, there's um, fusion. Four, four protons become a helium nucleus. And that's what produces energy and powers the sun. And you can ask, how efficient is that process? So you are you have some amount of rest mass energy available. How much of that goes into, um, into energy that you can extract? And that number is a little less than 1% for the sun. Whereas for black holes, gas falling into black holes, just the gravitational energy available can make that number as big as ten or even as big as forty percent, um, theoretically, for a black hole. So even though black holes are dark, they actually are these the most powerful engines that can, you know, most efficiently extract um, energy from gas.
0: Yeah, I know some people are holding out hope for Planet Nine being a small black hole. <laughs> uh, if that's the case, we have, you know, sort of a very efficient energy production
1: Ooh. mechanism in the neighborhood. Do you think that's possible? Uh, it's certainly interesting to think about. I haven't thought about it in much detail. I, uh, my my colleague uh, here is skeptical about whether Planet Nine is needed at all, um, let alone what its true nature is. But um, it'd be cool if we could if we could figure this out for sure. Uh, that'd be great. Yeah. So
0: um, so going back to the quasars. So I don't know much about this again, Jason. So. Aren't the quasars sort of the beginning of the universe? Like, we are looking beyond like 10 billion years, This is sort of the early part of the process?
1: Um, so so quasars are fairly rare. So they're some fraction of these supermassive black holes in the center of galaxies are quasars. Um, so it's true that most of them that we see are at somewhat higher redshift further away because they're they tend to be rarer and because black holes were growing more rapidly further back in time in the universe. Um, Yeah, so the the sources that we see close by, like the ones that we make images of, are not quasars. I want to be clear about that. So when you talk about instead, how is light produced by gas falling onto Sagittarius star or M87, that process is completely different, because the gas is still, the gas is there. There's not very much of it. It's not effectively colliding. And so it's basically able to, it heats up, but it's not very good at getting rid of its heat. So it's basically heating up, becoming very hot. And if you ask then how that radiates, it tends to be by this process that we call synchrotron radiation. So this is um, electrons that are going around interacting with magnetic fields. So they're circling around magnetic field lines. And that acceleration caused by being in a circular orbit uh, causes them to radiate away light that we can observe. This is a very common way. If you look at pictures of jets, if you've seen pictures of jets from. Quasars or supermassive black holes um, in the radio, or, or uh, from M87 in the optical, with with Hubble, for example, those beautiful images of the jet in M87—that's all synchrotron radiation as well. So it's a it's a very common mechanism. If the electrons are very very hot, meaning they're they're sort of relativistic, so they're moving very close to the speed of light, this becomes a very a, a, an effective way for the gas to radiate um, without lots of collisions.
0: My understanding, Jason, is that M87 has a jet we can observe. Uh, but Sagittarius A star, our own uh, black hole doesn't, right? Uh, so are the, are the jets sort of a function of the mass of the, the
1: black hole? Yeah, it's a really good question. Uh, I would say that so we know in, uh, ast- in astrophysical situations, the two ingredients that that we need for jets is we need that there's rotation. Uh, That's the energy source that that powers jets. That's where the energy comes from is rotation. And then we need magnetic fields. Magnetic fields in astronomy are actually what uh, what can um, extract that energy and produce this jet structure that that goes um, out away from the central object. So this isn't just true for black holes; it's true for stars or many other places where we see jets. Um, but that does not answer why our galactic center would not have an obvious jet, and why M87 has this famous jet that goes out over the scale of the whole galaxy. And, um, yeah. So you know, that could be because there's something different about, um, for instance. One idea is that these jets are powered by the spin of the black hole itself, the rotation of the black hole itself, rather than just of the infalling gas. So that could, in principle, be different between M87 and Sag star star. Um, but I think the I think you know most black holes that we see, or a lot of black holes that we see, do have jets in this regime where not much gas is falling in. And so it's kind of interesting: why does the center of our galaxy not? So some part of the story and breaks down. It could be as simple as the rotation of the black hole, or it could be something more complicated about the electromagnetic interactions that end up powering the jet somehow get sort of shorted out or shut off in the case of the galactic center. One speculative idea is just that that would be related to so little gas falling in and that there aren't even near the jet, there aren't even enough sort of charged particles just to carry the currents that you need to make this Beautiful magnetic structure, which we eventually see, but I, I don't. I don't know. It's an active area of, uh, of research for why. Why is the galactic center different in that way?
0: Yeah, I remember seeing some pictures in the early nineteen nineties uh, of these jets, and it was a real puzzle then. Uh, I think we have better information now, um, but black holes are sort of simple. Um, simple things, right? So they have a mass, they have a spin, they might have an electric charge, uh, but that define pretty much define all of the characteristics of a black hole. So, in in Sagittarius A star, do uh, do we know if it's spinning, like M eighty seven
1: or? Yeah, so we we don't have a good direct measurement. I would say, um, certainly that everyone agrees on in either of those. Uh, so some of us would think that the presence of this very powerful obvious jet in M87 suggests that it's probably a spinning black hole, but we don't have a good measurement of it. And in the center of our galaxy, it's it's less clear because we don't even see that. Uh, for completeness, I should say many people do think there's a jet in the galactic center, and it's just sort of less obvious, right? And so there are of extended sort of jet features in the center of our galaxy and it's clearly not as obvious as in the case of m87 regardless but it's also a much less powerful uh, black hole just because there's so little mass falling onto it so it it could it could in principle be hidden somewhere and maybe maybe uh, there'll be a conclusive detection of something about it
0: yeah so so i want to finish up this paper with um sort of uh, thinking about the even horizon telescope accomplishment um, which is a tremendous technical leap for humanity <laughs> uh, to take sort of a picture of a black hole um, are there more coming from that experiment where, where are we uh, in terms of even horizon telescope data
1: yeah so the so the most recent thing is this um, paper that, there's now this image of the black hole in polarized land. And so the the really cool thing about that compared to the original one, so there's uh now there's sort of a swirly pattern. And the people say like the the swirly glaze on the on the donut, you know, this orange glowing donut image. Um and so what we're seeing there is we're, we're seeing directly uh information about these magnetic fields. So as I said, in in our story of both How gas fall and it shoots out We talk about the importance of these magnetic fields. And so what's cool there is that now we can actually study them. So for people like me who want to understand, you know, how black holes are growing by gas falling into them, this is a really critical ingredient that's often kind of hard to measure. And the nice thing about the fact that in these systems we see the synchrotron radiation is that that process depends on the magnetic field. And so it turns out that this polarized light, Gives you a lot of really important information about about those things so I just that the interesting thing that comes out of that is basically that the, the magnetic fields appear to be strong in the sense that they're not just sort of being dragged around with the, the gas but rather they can kind of push back and change how the how the accretion process is working and so that's that's one thing that we're excited about is as i said now that now that you know we think we can kind of our physical understanding of this problem is maybe not so far off because the image looks kind of like now we can try to dig deeper and learn new things like yeah, yeah what are what are these magnetic fields doing how does this process work anyways in more detail about your question you know how do these jets get launched anyways it does it match the the picture that i sketched there you know is that really how it's working so those are those are the things that are very exciting the next thing is that um we we very much hope to uh release images of the black hole in the center of our galaxy of sag star and um, so the the challenge there is so so the reason to be so excited about that is basically that we all already know a lot about it so i mentioned this idea that if you can make measurements related to the size of this location where light goes around the black hole and then, then you can start to do, at some level, some kind of test of general relativity around a black hole. The, the center of our is just a vastly simplistic to do that because of the orbits of stars that are so know very precisely how far away the center of our galaxy is, what the mass of the black hole is there, and that means that we know exactly where this location should be. So in, in terms of, like, size on the sky, so in the image, you could draw where you think this feature should be and that's a much more direct comparison to an eventual image with the event horizon telescope than we had in m87 so m87 we sort of said well it looks like the black hole is actually pretty massive it's this you know six and a half billion times the mass of the sun in the galactic center there that would be an interesting consistency check but then hopefully it can go a little further and and yeah it's very exciting to us for those reasons uh, I just get asked a lot, why isn't this available already? Don't we care about the Galactic Center? It's so important. The, the, there's a real technical challenge there, which is that the way we make an image with using telescopes, which don't um, cover the Earth, there are very few of them to so sort of um, of order like seven telescopes or stations um, spread all over the place is that we use the fact that the Earth rotates to fill in the image effect. And that makes an assumption, which is the image we're making is not changing while the Earth rotates. For M87, it works. The, the time it takes light to cross the, the size of the event horizon in M87 is several hours. So assuming the image doesn't change much over a day is a very good assumption. In the center of our galaxy, we just know that's not true. <laughs> So what, what we're seeing is not an image, it's a movie. And reconstructing that whole movie uh, is a challenge when you don't have too many telescopes. So it's a major technical challenge that's ongoing. It's not insurmountable, but it takes a lot of time in thinking about, you know, uh, did you really get it right? And, and making sure you really get it right before it's released.
0: Yeah, I mean, the other issue obviously is most humans don't know there's nothing special. There's nothing special about the Earth. There's nothing special about the solar system. There's nothing special about our own <laughs> our own black hole. It's just an ordinary galaxy in the middle of nowhere. Um, and so, even though it's it's interesting, M eighty seven might give you more information.
1: Yeah, that's right. the re- The reason to re- right now to really care about the center of our galaxy is that it's the it's close in the sense that like, it really is the only place where we can see stars that orbit um, a black hole, a massive black hole. So that, that experiment is not possible in more distant galaxies. So the the reason that our galaxy ends up being special is because we're in it, right? We're making observations from Earth. Um, our telescopes has a fixed sort of angular size they see on the sky. And that gets you a lot more in our galaxy than it does in other galaxies. So that, that that's really the reason to, care about it,
0: um, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, so, so,
1: so, so I, I think it yeah. But, but you're right. I think you're right that in the end, um, M87 is known to have this, you know, I, I was triumphantly saying that M87 looks the way we thought it would, so maybe we understand something about what's going on. Um, it doesn't have to be that way for every black hole too, right? So may, maybe there's an image of one of these targets that just we have no idea what it means or what it looks like. That, that's gonna make it pretty hard if you wanna like use that as a tool to try to learn about, you know, physics or something. You have to also know what you're looking at, right? So it's, it's definitely possible that one object ends up more interesting. We would love to have a lot more, that would be great. Um, that's considerably harder to get to more objects. Because of the, well, what I would call the coincidences that we talked about earlier, right? There's uh, other black holes tend to be either much fainter in the microwaves, where we look with the event horizon telescope, um, or they're uh, much smaller on the sky and harder to image. And yeah, so those, yeah. those coincidences work against you if you want to make a large sample of these black hole images, right? The gallery of all the black hole images.
0: Yeah, I'm just kidding about the Milky Way, it's still special. Um, Andrea gets, as you know, a recent Nobel laureate. Um, So, I mean, we have a lot of measurement around Sagittarius A star. And so, if we can sort of um, take that data and combine it with uh, others, it could be quite interesting. You have a recent paper uh, in July this year, Sagittarius A star X-ray flares from non-thermal particle acceleration in magnetically arrested disk, um, obviously a bit uh, bit technical, but um, so non-thermal particle acceleration. What what is uh, what is interesting about that? Uh,
1: yeah, so it turns out that many places in the universe are very good at um, accelerating particles. can we do in lab experiments on Earth, um, at the LHC or somewhere, Uh, the universe does, knows how to do this. So cosmic rays are the classic example of this, extremely relativistic particles, meaning energy is much greater than the rest mass of the particles. And so moving very, very close to the speed of light. Uh, And and the universe knows how to do this, and the regions near black holes know how to um, accelerate particles. So all the different places to, to do this non-thermal particle acceleration remain unknown. Um, in the context of this black hole in the galactic center, it's this very, especially if you look in infrared light, so where they monitor these orbits of stars, the, the black hole source, even though it's you know millions of times the mass of, of the sun, is this super faint object that you don't usually even see in the infrared. And so in the radio it's pretty bright but but not in the infrared and uh, what you do see though is that sometimes it brightens up to be comparable or even brighter than the stars and this is so-called flaring um, emission so in in analogy with the sun with with solar flares uh, that it becomes much brighter in the infrared and that corresponds to also similar flares in the x-rays and get, just given what we know about um, sort of how hot the gas is, and that most of that is seen as this, again, the synchrotron radiation and the radio, that means that to get this higher energy, infrared and x-rays um, seems to require this, this that the particles are being accelerated. And so even though it's this totally pitiful, you know, puny black hole, very little gas falling into it, it's still able, apparently, to accelerate particles. And the, the idea of, um, X-ray flares suggest that maybe it's even accelerating particles up to to very very high energies, so where the total energy is about a hundred thousand times the rest mass energy of, of an electron. Um, so it's apparently pretty impressive at particle acceleration. Sometimes even if it's you know uh, doesn't have much, not radiating much light most of the time, not much gas volume. Yeah. So
0: so what we need is sort of a black hole uh, to. To go beyond (laughs) LHC, it'll be so much uh, cheaper. uh, (laughs) in Geneva, Uh,
1: so it really so on on a serious note. um, I think a lot of yeah, astroparticle physics is a has for a long time now been a really booming field because of this, right? For trying to get at so. The problem of course is in astrophysics our experiments are nowhere near controlled right we don't know the initial conditions we don't control anything about the experiment Uh, but the universe is very good at accelerating particles and um, showing us physical regimes that we cannot access from earth and so in that way i think more and you know more and more people really do go to that uh, yeah look at astrophysical sources to try to learn about uh, at least some aspects of, of physics or of particle physics. Dark matter is an enormous area of interest now. Signatures of axions or other types of dark matter that might come from astrophysical sources. So yeah, you're on you're on to something. Um, let's let's try to just set up some controlled experiments <laughs> right around black holes, and then we're then we're really in business.
0: Uh, yeah, uh, I had a string theory um, episode, Jason, and. Uh, you know, we're talking about black holes. is the is the best experimental setup mm-hmm. uh, to test some of the ideas in string theory too, right? So, That's true. so, so do do you think we we, I mean, we cannot get any further from LHC, I would think. I mean, we can get maybe an order of magnitude higher, but not any further. So, so do you see, do you see us sort of merging into this sort of regime where you say? I'm not going to get an accelerator on Earth, but I'm going to have some very precise measurements near a black hole and use that in some way. Do you see experimentation heading in that direction?
1: I I don't know. I am not, uh, yeah. I I wouldn't claim limitations on uh, particle physicists are extremely clever. I'm sure there's a lot more that can be done. What one really uh, interesting thing that I don't know anything about, but was excited about, was this g minus two. The um, experimental evidence from from much smaller, you know, previous generations of accelerators, but doing targeted experiments to look at certain quantities at high precision that might, in some way, tell you something about new physics on Earth. So I, I wouldn't give up on uh, particle accelerators on Earth at all. I was not meaning to imply that, but I, but I do think it's. I think one of the, the other interesting thing about studying astrophysics is most of what we do is applying, you know, the known, the laws of physics as we know them to understand problems, as I said, in totally different regimes, right, and try to solve really fun physics problems, apply physics, you know, in space or whatever. But, but I do think it's possible to turn it around. So as I said, that's one goal for the um, studies right next to the event horizons of black holes is maybe it'll be able to come up with some new test and, and obviously gravitational waves and other things are, are doing this as well um and so maybe maybe there's something to to learn there about um, particle physics as well I, I think that's why it's of great interest because if you come up with models for for dark matter for example and then you might have predictions then about or at least constraints you can put on how well dark matter couples to regular matter from observations that astronomers were already doing for example so it's kind of a Uh, something that uh, extra that can be done for free so i think that that's not i would be surprised if that became a less popular thing to do right because of experimental or other limitations on on earth Uh, but but i wouldn't give up on lab experiments Uh, being able to control your experiments is pretty good uh, too
0: so so i want to go into one of your recent papers radiation gr mhd simulations for the hard state of black hole X-ray binaries and the collapse of the hot accretion flow. Um, GR simulation. simulations. So this is sort of a Monte Carlo-based simulations.
1: Yeah, so the so the way that we the, the one um, popular way that we try to understand gas falling into black holes again for like M87 or the galactic center is we picture this as ionized plasma and it's conducting magnetic fields. And the the sort of um, simplest description that we know how to do for that is to call it a fluid that's conducting magnetic fields. So that's the MHD is a common um, approximate way to write down the equations of a magnetized gas. It's behaving like a fluid. And here the GR part means there's a black hole in the middle, and so the whole thing's in a black hole space-time space time and it's and it's gas that's interacting um, with with gas particles and with a magnetic field so we we use that for example and I say that you know theory can predict black hole images and to me this was one of the major successes of accretion theory based on MHD or grmhD that that, that predicted that the light should be radiated from very close to the black hole and so you should see this nice ring image um, ring type image from from these sources uh, and so, so, so we said when there's very little gas falling in, uh, it basically doesn't doesn't cool very well. It stays hot, and uh, because it's hot, the gas distribution is kind of puffy. It's like a big um, torus or donut of gas, like spherical distribution of gas, not like the cartoons you see of a quasar where it's this little thin disk. Um, so somewhere in between, something happened. Right? So basically. If you consider going from the systems we were just talking about, Sagittarius is the the least amount of gas falling into the black hole. When you go to M87, the gas now can cool a little bit. At least the electrons in the gas can start to radiate away light and cool a little bit. But the protons probably stay hot and it's still probably kind of hot and puffy. Um, But if you keep going up and add more and more and more gas, the collisions between gas particles will start to share the energy and the amount that gets radiated goes up and the gas will suddenly become very good at cooling. So it's been known for a long time that at some point we should transition between a, a picture where it's kind of hot and puffy gas that's falling in in kind of a big cloud and this thin disk like you would see in a cartoon of an accretion disk around a quasar. Um, and so what those simulations we're trying to do is see that. Let, let's try to see that in a picture of MHD accretion uh, where we try to follow how the magnetic fields interact with the gas and let it fall into the black hole um, and, and have a physical picture of how this might how this might look when the when the accretion flow collapses, as we call it, meaning it switches from being hot to cold um, and the gas particles can suddenly interact. The protons and the electrons finally like sort of it's dense enough that they collide with each other, share energy um, and, and cool much more efficiently and collapse. Um, so so the the, the calculations that, that were done there are um, not only including the gas in the magnetic fields which is already kind of hard, but now also putting in the light itself, the photons um, interacting with the gas um, and so and then basically turning up the amount of gas falling onto the black hole until this hot puffy thing collapses. Mm so, so the, yeah so it's the type of thing that's been done for decades in our field um trying to calculate in a simpler picture without magnetic fields and, and in a more approximate way how, how should this look as you add more and more gas and and sketching you know coming up with this picture that I just described um, and we're trying to do this in a more physical way with with um, with the magnetic fields with the turbulence in the gas and with the real radiation um, yeah
0: yeah mean I lose my intuition in the mathematics here because space time is twisted around there, right? So, I mean, we can think about fluid mechanics, we can think about all the, you know, general stuff that we do, but the space time is sort of twisted around there. So, you know, (laughs) how do you simulate a twisted Mm -hmm. and a twisting space time in the presence of particles?
1: Yeah, so, so um, mathematically, this comes out very nice. So uh, if you describe, so like when we describe the structure of stars, um, you would use spherical coordinates, meaning you describe the star as being a sphere, and you talk about points on the sphere in either angle or in how far away you are from the center. Um, and if you go through then uh, equations of fluid mechanics, they will look different in that coordinate system than in X, Y, Z Cartesian coordinates. And actually it turns out that, so, so in general relativity, there, there's a little bit more to it than that, because that's still describing a flat space time, but operationally it becomes very very similar to that. So you pick up extra terms when you do derivatives or there are other things in the math that, that come out of this, um, but, but the description does not end up all that much more complicated. The, the problem where it's, you know, it's an achievement to be able to do a calculation like that for the people that developed codes and so on, I'm not trying to minimize it, but, but it's uh, conceptually, it's really not that much more different. You choose a coordinate system and then there's rules about how those differential equations look that describe, you know, basically conservation of mass falling into the black hole, conservation of momentum, conservation of energy. And um, those equations all have their relativistic version. And that's really what you're doing, just like in how we describe stars as balls of gas that, are, um, that have conservation laws about them. It's really not, operationally, it's not that different. The really, really challenging part of the computational problem is that the, the gas needs to um, collide in some way. It needs to interact in some way so that it can actually fall into the black hole. So this is a big mystery in our field for decades that if you just put the gas on orbits, it can be stable, right? Like satellites around the earth. It's not gonna march inwards towards the black hole. And the amount of just natural kind of rubbing viscosity of the gas is actually very small and can't, can't um, explain how the gas actually accretes. How does it fall into the black hole at the rates that we see like in a quasar, for example. And that, the answer to that turns out to be that it's it's magnetic fields that are doing that. Um, that it's basically turbulence driven by magnetic fields and then interactions of magnetic fields with the gas that cause torques and cause it to lose its angular momentum and fall inwards off of its orbits. Um, and and so the, the wonderful thing about that is that we can do simulations like I've described that we think are so much more realistic in terms of capturing how does gas actually, you know, move around the black hole in the secretion flow. Um, but the downside of it is that it's a three dimensional problem. It's time dependent because you have turbulence um, and and it's got magnetic fields in it, uh, and so so that's why we're that's why we all turn to these computer simulations is because this becomes too hard to, to write down, at least for now, in a, in a simpler way.
0: So the perturbations by magnetic field, uh, magnetic fields sort of create. um create a way for gas to fall in. Uh, you know, I- I'm also wondering, aren't these things moving in relativistic speeds? Um, so how about the sort of a time dilation and all that stuff? How, how, how do those figure into the calculations?
1: Yeah, so so that's right. So the, the um, typical speed of the gas is basically like a circular orbit. Um, just like, again, a satellite around the Earth or the Earth around the Sun. Um, but that's right, when it becomes close to the black hole, that speed starts to approach the speed of light. And so so going back to the, the image from the Event Horizon Telescope, the bottom of that image is brighter than the top, and that's because there's part of that motion that's coming at us. And there's a relativistic effect called beaming, where the, the light pattern was radiated in all directions in the frame where the gas is at rest. But then when it is moving close to the speed of light, all of that that emission gets collimated in the direction of motion. So it's boosted basically because the gas is moving so fast. And um, so that can definitely have effects, but for describing how the, the magnetic fields provide torques and stuff to fall in, you, you can do that um, in very similar way and without considering the relativistic effects. So the, the key thing there is the way that magnetic fields behave that, that you can think of magnetic field lines going through the gas as connecting different parts of the gas with a spring and this is actually a very like an exact physical uh equivalence that that means that if you consider then two fluid elements connected in this way and they're both trying to orbit the inner one's trying to orbit faster than the outer one and it'll pull on the spring and then there's a restoring force the spring doesn't want to be stretched similarly the magnetic field doesn't want to be stretched and so it will bring them back closer together and that that and that interaction uh, ends up being unstable because it then causes the inner one to fall in, the outer one to go out, and it repeats the same thing, but with a more stretched spring. Um, and so this is, this is a, an instability that, that was um, found in, in accretion flows that eventually becomes turbulence in the gas and, and causes these torques. But it's really the interaction of the magnetic field being carried around by the material that we think lets gas fall in in, in the first place. That, that's wonderful for physical understanding and complicated because it means to do it properly, you need to turn to these computer simulations.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a beautiful field. There is a lot to be learned here. Um, anybody getting into the field today has, has, a, has a long way to go, uh, to say the least. Um, so, so, in conclusion, Jason, you know. Um, what is what is sort of your speculation? Uh, let me ask you two questions. What are you most excited about today, looking forward five, ten years? And secondarily, uh, where where do you think we will be five, ten years from now? I'm thinking specifically about black holes and all the theories around black holes, including string theory and all that stuff. So, so so what what are you most excited about? And where do you think we will be five, ten years from now?
1: Yeah, so I would just advertise. It's a great time to get into my field because um, a lot of these things that we're talking about are now actually tractable problems. So computers have gotten faster to the point where this type of study that I'm talking about is is actually possible now. You know, it's always we'll continue pushing on the limits of what can be done, um, but the type of calculation of what we're talking about of trying to track both how this gas is falling in with magnetic fields and how it's radiating light and whether it collapses or whatever it does, you know, this is really, um, th- this now becomes possible. And so I think that's one of the major activities that I'm excited about is trying to figure out in, in the picture of how we think gas falls onto black holes, is that right? Are there major missing elements to the story uh, that, you know, will that story change in the next few years? It will it just be uh, show demonstrating that this really works in, in some detail. And so I'm really excited about that. Questions like we were talking about earlier of when do you get jets um, and how, what makes different black hole systems look different? Um, You know, the the immediate thing will be that the downside of the galactic center as a system to study is that it's hard to make an image, but the plus side, if things get better is we'll be looking at movies. Um, And so if I imagine looking at polarized black hole movies, this will start to tell you about, you know, I just described this picture of how gas falls into black holes that predicts it should be a turbulent process. Is that right? You know, do we see that then? If we look at a movie of a black hole feeding on gas, that turbulence will tell us a lot about how it works. And so going back to this idea of flares, does that show up then in the movies? Do we see some big change in how the gas is moving around the black hole associated with this energetic flaring activity, say in the center of our galaxy? Um, or or some other behavior that yeah, that we don't know yet. And um, so I think, yeah, what, one of the main things that I'll be most interested in is this this idea that magnetic fields are so important and um, let the gas fall in, power these jets. Um, is that basically correct? Can we prove that? Is it then the rotation of the black holes themselves? Is that the energy, the, the energy of the black hole itself? Is that what's being extracted? It's pretty profound to think, think about that, you know, black holes again are small so you, is that really the energy extracted from the black hole itself that you're seeing powering the M87 jet you know out on scales of the galaxy of the M87 galaxy on vastly larger scales
0: we have neutron stars and pulsars spinning quite quite fast right so why 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 do we think the black holes won't spin that fast
1: uh so they they can the black holes can spin um, can spin very fast yeah so they can have a lot of spin energy we we don't know that we don't measure their spins so the the wonderful thing in the pulsar system is you can measure the spin down energy and show that that can power you know say the crab pulsar over its life over its apparent lifetime so you you just because of the pulsar system having this um, pulsations that that measure uh, Clocks around the pulsar system, you, you just have much more information that that shows you um, that that's what's going on. Although I'd mentioned there again, issues with magnetic fields and particle acceleration are are very similar as as in as in our field, and a lot of progress is being made there too. Yeah. Yeah. So so that would be another one. Is yeah. Is there are there ways to cleanly measure the spin of black holes? That would be a as you said. There aren't that many properties of astrophysical black holes that we think really matter. And the mass and the spin are basically the two. And if you measure more stuff, then you're testing whether it's really a black hole. Um, so all kinds of any any um, information uh, in that direction will be very exciting. Yeah. So I think that's. It'll be interesting to see where it goes. I think right now, you know, there's kind of a, the the big question there is, you know, are these black holes the ones predicted by general relativity, right? As you said, uh, over 100 years ago, is that really the black holes that we see in nature? We don't have any better explanation, but maybe we can actually test now, you know, constrain deviations from that idea. And as I mentioned, this is, this is a topic of, um, for gravitational wave uh, physics, as well as for us doing black hole images or other probes of um, accreting systems, so gas right next to the event horizon. So I, I expect that a lot of progress um, will be made in those areas. I don't, uh, definitive answers or measurements of deviations would be super exciting. I, I won't go so far as that, um, but, but it'll certainly be interesting to see where that goes in the next several years.
0: Excellent, yeah, this has been great, Jason. Thanks so much for spending time with me.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Um, so nice Thank to you. nice to talk about these things very excited for for where it goes
0: yeah i mean like i said you know i go to sleep thinking about falling into a black hole but that may not be a good thing <laughs> not,
1: not a major not a major risk luckily <laughs> uh, i don't think there are any of these very close to, to us on Earth.
0: excellent thanks again
1: okay thanks a lot <laughs>